Hi folks, this is Josh, the current host of the Bible Conference Recordings podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the recordings. I'd like to do something a little different for the next few episodes. One of the best resources I've ever received that has helped me in the study of God's Word is a series of lectures given by John Nelson Darby nearly 180 years ago. These lectures are entitled The Hopes of the Church of God, and they deal with the big picture of God's ways with men, His ultimate purpose, and our destiny and calling as the Church of God. These lectures were given at a Bible conference of sorts in Geneva, Switzerland in the year 1840. These have been called the Geneva Lectures. For those of you who aren't good with dates, realize that 1840 was before the American Civil War. The truths unfolded in these lectures are astounding, especially considering the time period in church history, and they are still relevant today. I have personally enjoyed these lectures many times, and I hope you will too. Feel free to let me know if you enjoy these lectures by contacting me through the Bible Conference Recordings website. The audio version of the Geneva Lectures was produced by Bible Truth Publishers of Addison, Illinois, and they are used by permission for this podcast. These podcasts are for your use and not for redistribution or sale. If you enjoy these lectures, you can purchase the full set from Bible Truth Publishers' website. Links to the audio, ebook, and paperback forms can be found in the show notes for this episode. Now buckle up and get ready to be blessed through this reproduction of The Hopes of the Church of God. The Hopes of the Church of God In Connection with the destiny of the Jews and the nations, as revealed in prophecy. Eleven Lectures in Geneva, 1840, by J. N. Darby. Preface The Church of God, what is its origin? What is its nature? And what is its destiny? What counsels does God have concerning it? What is its relation to or its distinction from Israel? What is the first resurrection? What are dispensations? These and other subjects are profoundly and accurately treated in this series of lectures that were given by John Nelson Darby in 1840, over a 150 years ago in Geneva. The lectures had an enormous impact and the book produced from them made history. It has directed the thoughts of many believers to the teachings of the scriptures concerning the true nature and calling of the church and its hope. These lectures possess a very special quality, being profoundly doctrinal and yet practical at the same time. This book is a classic in the study of the church and its hope, in the study of Israel and her calling and future and in the study of the judgments and the future of the nations, very clearly expounding the principles of the Word of God concerning these questions. The result is to motivate the believer to adjust his life to the realities of his vocation wherewith he has been called. It presents with a peculiar force the great reality of God who is sovereign over history, of God who is faithful to his promises, of God who sent Jesus Christ the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
to gather his church, judge the nations, and gather and save the remnant of Israel, and to fulfill all the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. In this work is also shown in the face of the attitude that would shun its study the vital necessity of considering attentively the prophetic scriptures, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 19 In order to keep us more and more close to him who said, I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 and 20. Santiago Esquain Lecture 1 Read Second Peter chapter 1 Introduction It should be the endeavor of the Christian, not only to be assured of his salvation in Christ, but also of all the results of this salvation. He should not only know that he is in his Father's house, but enjoy the privileges of his happy position. God has called us by glory and virtue. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 In the glory of Christ and of the church, God has given us a futurity full of his own designs the present study of which fills our hearts full of associations with him, and this assuredly is one of his objects in dispensing prophecy to us. He reveals it to us as his friends. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 15, and Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 9, making us participators of the thoughts which occupy himself. He could not give us a more tender pledge of his love and confidence. Genesis chapter 18 verse 17, nor anything having a holier tendency as regards ourselves. In fact, if men are to be known by the ends they are pursuing, our conduct in the present life will have the impress and bearing of that futurity which we are expecting. Our life here will be colored by the foretaste of things there. Those whose ambition is dignity and power, those who dream only of riches, those who have no other aim than the pleasures of this world, act according to that which is in their hearts. Their habits bear the mark of what they are longing for. So it is in the church. If the faithful understood their calling, which is no less than participation in a coming heavenly glory, what would be the consequence? Nothing less than to live here as strangers and pilgrims, in distinguishing the prophecies which relate to this earth they would better understand the nature of the earthly promises made to the Jews and would learn to separate them from those which refer to us Gentiles. They would judge the spirit of the age and would preserve their hearts from being engrossed by human objects and from many a care and distraction hurtful to the life of a Christian. They would exercise a happy dependence on Him who has ordered all things and who knows the end from the beginning and would yield themselves entirely to that hope which has been given them, and to the discharge of those duties which flow from it. It has been said that the real use to be made of the prophecies is to show the divinity of the Bible by those which have already been accomplished. 
This is certainly a use which may be made of them, but this is not the special object for which they have been given. They belong not to the world, but to the church or remnant, to communicate the intentions of God to that church or remnant, and to be its guide and torch before the arrival of those events which they predict, or during their accomplishment. Shall we use the revelations of God merely as the means of convincing us afterwards that He has told the truth? It is as if someone were treating me as his intimate friend, heaping benefits on me, communicating his thoughts to me, telling me all that he knew would shortly happen. And I should use all his confidence for no other purpose than to convince myself, when everything had come to pass, that he was a truth-telling person. As Satan is watchful to take advantage of every part of Scripture not used to a right end, he has not been unmindful of the above argument. He has therefore led many to suppose a partial fulfillment of many of the prophecies to be their complete accomplishment. An undue prominence has been given to many commentators to little events, owing to the scope of prophecy not being understood in its utility to the present wants of the soul, or ultimately to those who in the midst of Israel wait for the redemption of Zion. Alas, alas, where are we? Have we so far lost the feeling of our privileges and of the goodness of our God? Is there, then, nothing for the church in all these holy revelations? For certainly it is not the church's place to be discussing whether God, its divine friend, has told the truth. Dear friends, we wrong the goodness and friendship of God in acting thus towards Him. As Christians, we have no need to be witnesses of an event in order to believe what God says to be true, that His word is true. You believe already that prophecy is the word of God. But more than this, the greater part of the prophecies, and in a certain sense we may say, all the prophecies will have their accomplishment at the expiration of the dispensation in which we are. Now at that epoch it will be too late to be convinced of their truth or to employ them for the conviction of others. The terrible judgment which will come on those who disbelieve them will be sufficient demonstration of their truth. No, they are given to us to direct us in our present walk in the ways of the Lord, and to be our comfort in enabling us to see that it is God who disposes of all events, and not man. They are as a light shining in a dark place. Thus, the passions, instead of being let loose in the world of politics, are quieted. I observe what God has said. I read in Daniel that all is ordered from the beginning, and I am tranquil. Altogether separated from these worldly things, I can study beforehand the profound and perfect wisdom of God. I get enlightened and cleave to Him instead of following my own understanding. I see in the events which take place around me the unfolding of the purpose of the Most High, and not a field abandoned to the struggle of human passions. Thus, and specially in the events which come to pass at the end, it is that prophecy opens out to us the character of God, all that God would have us know of Himself, His faithfulness, His justice, His power, His long-suffering, but at the same time the judgment which He will certainly execute on proud iniquity, the public and fearful vengeance which He will take on those who corrupt the earth, in order that His government may be established in peace and blessing for all. Where was the use of the Lord 
forewarning the disciples that they were to flee under such and such circumstances if they did not understand what he was speaking about and did not believe beforehand in the truth of his word. It was precisely this knowledge and this faith that distinguished them from all their unbelieving countrymen. It is just so with the church. The judgment of God is to come on the nations. The church is informed of this, and thanks to the teachings of the Holy Spirit, understands it, believes it, and escapes the things which are coming. But, says another objector, these prophetic studies are merely speculative. Oh, what a device of Satan is this! If looking beyond the present, beyond the feelings of my own wants, if passing beyond the domain of material being I launch into futurity, then everything will be vague and uninfluential, unless I fill it not with my own thoughts, now these are real speculations, but with the thoughts of God. What are these? It is prophecy which reveals and develops them, for prophecy is the revelation of the thoughts and counsels of God as to things to come. Where is the man bearing the name of Christian who does not rejoice in the prospect that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? This is a prophecy. If it be asked, How is this to be accomplished? It is not from man's mouth that the answer is to come. The word of the same prophecy will tell us and thus silence the imaginations of the vain glory of our proud hearts. In truth, although communion with God comforts and sanctifies us, and this communion, which is to be eternal, is already given to us, yet he wishes to act on our hearts by positive hopes. Necessarily, then, he must communicate the subject of them to us in order that they may have an efficacious influence, and so prevent these hopes being either vague or the result of ingeniously contrived fables. Thanks be to the God of all grace and goodness. Our futurity is neither the one nor the other. The fullness of the details of the coming glory are still the subject of prophecy. For, says the Apostle, when he wants to call forth the exercise of piety, virtue, brotherly love, and charity in the souls of the faithful, and would have them keep these things constantly in remembrance. Second Peter chapter 1, 16-21 We have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. As pertaining to that sure word of prophecy, more properly, it is that the word of prophecy is confirmed or made more sure, to wit, by the transfiguration. In going through the more general features of prophecy, we shall examine these three great subjects, the church, the nations, and the Jews. In pursuing this study we shall find, according to the measure of light which is given to us, a very beautiful result, 
namely, a full development of the perfections of God under two names or characters, according to which he has revealed himself in relationship to man. To the Jews, it is as Jehovah that he makes himself known. Exodus chapter 6 verse 3. To the church, it is as Father. In a word, as that which is predicted by the mouth of the prophets, as to the Jews gives us the character of Jehovah, his faithfulness, and all his attributes, so that which is prophesied concerning the church opens out to us the name of the Father. The church is in relationship with the Father, and the Jews with Jehovah, which is the characteristic name of their relationship with God. Jesus, in consequence, is presented to the Jews as the Messiah, the center of the promises and of the blessings of Jehovah to that nation. To the church, he appears as the Son of God, gathering to himself his many brethren, sharing with us his title and privileges, those, namely, of the children of God, members of his family, joint heirs with Christ, the firstborn among many brethren, who is the expression of all the glory of his Father. In the dispensation of the fullness of times, when God will gather together all things in Christ, then will be also realized in its fullest sense the name in which he revealed himself to Abraham, the father of the faithful, that name under which he has been celebrated by Melchizedek, a type of the royal priest who will be the center as well as the assurance of the common blessing of the united earth and heavens, the name of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth.